Someone made the joke this morning in Sunday school back there that I was the Old Testament preacher. And we continue in that this morning. Isaiah chapter 58. Um, a bit of a lengthy reading, but we'll read the whole chapter. I ask you to read along with me. <clears throat> Isaiah 58, beginning in the first verse. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgression. And the house of Jacob, their sins. They, yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and forsook not the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching to God. Wherefore have we fasted, say they, and thou seest not? Wherefore have we afflicted our soul and thou takest no knowledge? Behold, in the days of your Fast ye find pleasure and exact all your labors. Behold, ye fast for strife and debate and to smite with the fist of wickedness. You shall not fast as you do this day to make your voice to be heard on high. It is such a fast, uh, is it such a fast that I have chosen? A day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head as a bulrush and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Wilt thou call this fast an acceptable day to the Lord? Is this not the fast that I have chosen to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry, and that thou, can, and that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house? When thou seest the naked, that thou cover him, and that thou hide not thyself thine own flesh? Then shall thy light break forth as the morning, and thy health shall spring forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go forth before thee. The glory of the Lord shall be thy reward. Then shalt thou call, and the Lord shall answer. Thou shalt cry, and he shall say, Here I am. If thou take away from the midst of thee the yoke, the putting forth of the finger, and speaking vanity, and if thou draw out thy soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then shall thy light rise in obscurity, as thy darkness be, and thy darkness be as the noonday. And the Lord shall guide thee continually, and satisfy thy soul in drought, and make fat thy bones, and thou shalt be like a watered garden, and like a spring of water whose waters fail not. And they that shall be of thee shall build the old waste places. Thou shalt raise up the foundations of many generations. And thou shalt be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of paths to dwell in. <clears throat> if thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure <coughs> on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord honorable, and shalt honor him, not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words, then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord, and I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth, and feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father, for the mouth of the Lord <coughs> hath spoken it. Bow your heads with me, please. <coughs> father God, this morning, Lord, we praise you, and we recognize you, and we exalt you as the one true and living God this morning, the source of all blessing and all salvation. 
We praise you for your son Jesus and for the gospel, the truth that he came and lived and died to rescue our sins, to redeem all of creation, Father God. And we know that you are the God who is making all things new. And our souls should be welling up with thanksgiving and satisfaction from that knowledge. This morning, dear God, we come to you for forgiveness of sins. We ask that you uh, be among your people, move among your people this morning in the service, that we would be faithful to your message, that we would speak those things, we would hear those things that are needed to bind together your people, to change us to be more like Christ, and to call the lost among us to salvation through faith and repentance. Lord, help us in those ways this morning. Through the holy name of Jesus, we pray, and amen. So there it is, once again, the Old Testament uh, text to, to speak from, and uh, we want to figure out, you know, I've spent a lot of time recently talking about how we should view the Old Testament, the laws of the Old Covenant, uh, how that we should read our Bibles with strictly cross-shaped lenses, if you will. We are to look through uh, Jesus to see these things. And we want to find out, as we look at the prophet Isaiah's uh, uh, sayings there, his words, what applications are there for us? And hopefully, uh, based upon the messages that have been delivered recently, something should rise up or spring up in your head and say, well, not everything is a one-for-one one because we're not under the old covenant. Praise God, we're under the new covenant, the covenant of grace. And I hope that's springing up in your minds. Um, <clears throat> if not, perhaps we'll review or refresh some of that today because I want to look at Jesus' words, a continuation. I didn't realize how much... Uh, this was going to be sort of part two from last week's sermon until this morning. But I want to look at the words of Jesus uh, in Matthew chapter 5. Remind us of what it is that we're supposed to take, how we're supposed to look at these Old Testament texts. And then through that lens, let Jesus tell us what we should take from Isaiah, if you will, this morning. I'd like to speak. Uh, Isaiah talked there about Sabbaths. He talked about uh, doing deeds. And I want to take Jesus' words to, to interpret that. And speak on the law, the light, and our good deeds this morning. So, if you have not already, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Um, this is, we're not going to back up all the way. We did the Beatitudes last week. And um, uh, for those of you who weren't here, or who for whom your memory is not bringing all that back, I want to assert again, unlike many people who teach, I do not believe we should use the Beatitudes, these listings of blessings that Jesus uh, pronounced here at the beginning of his Sermon on the Mount. Uh, this is not a list of things we need to live up to. This is not intended for us to say that's what we need to try to be, although we should reflect these things. We found out last week um, that the Old Covenant, when Moses uh, ascended the mountain and got the words from God and he came to speak to the children of Israel, he said, if you hear my voice, God speaking through Moses, and if you obey my covenant, then shall you be a treasure above all people. The old covenant really was, if you do, then you will be blessed. Now, we also talked about how that uh, the mercy of God and the love of God and the grace of God overcame the people's rebellion and their uh, uh, disobedience a number of times. Uh, but nevertheless, they had no right to claim the blessings of God. They had no right to claim the title of the people of God if they had broken God's laws, God's covenant. The old covenant is, if you do, then you'll be blessed. 
And we contrasted that, if you recall, how that Jesus began the Sermon on the Mount by pronouncing blessings. It's not if you live up enough, then God will do, but rather, God's people, you are blessed because of what Jesus did. And because you are blessed, then you're able to do these good things. And I, I don't remember if I said it, but it, it marries perfectly with what Paul told the Ephesians church uh, in Ephesians chapter 2. We're familiar with verses 8 and 9. We quote them regularly in Baptist churches. For by grace you are saved through faith, right? It's, it's not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, lest anyone should boast. Uh, but we usually omit that 10th verse, which was part of the same thought, part of the same sentence when he said, we are saved unto for the purpose of good works, which God had already prepared for us to walk in, right? So we teach here, we believe here, God saves us for a purpose. We're thankful we're under the new covenant, which is not we have to live up to a standard that we could not live up to, but rather because of Jesus' perfect obedience and His dying in our place and being raised on the third day, we can be called, we are called the people of God. And because of His blessings, He allows us to do things. In fact, I've said before, and I'll say again today, we're here for a purpose. We're saved for a purpose. Those good deeds which were prepared beforehand uh, that we were saved for the purpose of. And the reason that we can clearly see that is we're still here. God doesn't do things for no purpose. We're here for a purpose. God is still about the business of saving souls, rescuing lives, putting families back together. God is about this purpose now, and He intends to do it through His people, through His churches today. All right? Let's look at that same, uh, that same notion that we're here for a purpose in the very words of Jesus. Turn your eyes to your pages in Matthew chapter 5, and we'll begin in uh, verse 13. So this is uh, just after the Beatitudes section that we talked about uh, last week. Verse 13, you're the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be saved? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. All right? We are here to be the salt. That's a picture that Jesus, was used, uh, that Jesus used there to teach a spiritual truth. What was salt used for? It was used for flavoring. It was used as a preservative agent. It was used in uh, medicinal purposes. It was used in liturgical purposes, in, in types of worship, in the making of covenants. In other words, folks, we have something we're here to do. Our being here, our being here as Mount Juliet Church, what we do maybe seems inconsequential to us sometimes. Maybe we just think we come here and we sing and we enjoy it, but maybe we uh, don't see the fact that God uses us for a purpose. Our worship of the Lord, if we're doing it rightly, right, worshiping God in spirit and in truth, the ministry of this church, which is not just the preaching and teaching Sunday and Wednesday, but it is the witness of every one of you throughout the week, the people that you talk to, this is all God's purpose for us, and we're still here, so He still intends us to have an effect. This morning, church family, you are here to be the salt of the earth. What else does Jesus say? Continue. Verse 14, not only are we supposed to have salt, we're not, not only are we supposed to have uh, that effect that He was uh, uh, describing there by use of the picture of salt, but He said, you're the light of the world. Pause. Bible students, those of you who have been raised in churches, what did Jesus say about Himself in John chapter 8 and verse 12? He said, I am the light of the world. Does Jesus here intend that we should have our own a unique light? 
That the light that I'm supposed to be the world uh, begins with something inside me? I think not. I think perhaps the best picture we have this morning is the moon. Right? Kids, listen up. Science class, you will learn or you have learned. Where does the moon get its light? Why does it shine brightly? It gets it from the sun. It's a big mirror. Why do we have uh, the moonlight? It is a reflection of uh, the light of the sun. What are we to be in this life? Jesus said we're supposed to be salty, uh, which don't think of the negative connotation the way we use that, but we're supposed to have an effect of those around us. And also, we're supposed to reflect the light of Jesus. Think about that for a moment. Every one of us, church family, every one of us, brother and sister, if you are a child of God, if you've been saved by the grace of God, you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, you yourself, not without church, not without your brothers and sisters, but you yourself, even apart from us, on Mondays, Tuesdays, Thursdays, you are to be reflecting the very light of Christ. Everything about Jesus, we're supposed to reflect to people. His holiness, His goodness, His love to others. We're supposed to share the gospel, but is that the only thing that Jesus did? He did a great deal more. Let's pause here just for a moment and think about that. The light of Christ reflecting the very person of Christ. And what is it that Jesus said about Himself? He said, if you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. Jesus is the express image of God the Father. Think of all the attributes of God. We're supposed to reflect that in our daily lives every day. We ought to be doing some things. As I said, we're here for purpose. Sort of start to put that together. Paul said we're saved unto good works. Jesus is about to say something about our works. We're supposed to be reflecting the light of Christ. Uh, Paul talks about churches, talks about church as being the body of Christ. Okay, that's a good example because it talks about how we fit together. But it's also a great picture because Paul said the churches are left here to continue the work that Jesus did in His public ministry. That's us. We still have purpose. We're supposed to have an effect on the community, on our friends, our family, our co-workers. We're supposed to be salt. And we're supposed to be light, reflecting everything that Jesus is and was when He was in the earth. We'll come back to that in a moment, but that's a tall order. It is something, again, that we cannot do. So I'm thankful, again, that we're under grace because God is the one who enables us to reflect Christ. Continue reading Jesus' words. He said, You're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick and give it light unto all those that are in the house. It makes no sense to light a light and cover it up. Defeating the purpose. So I say to you this morning, and pay attention, child of God, church family, this is so encouraging. It makes no sense that God would save your soul and then not have it shine for Him. Amen. It makes no sense that God would call together churches, that He would bring about uh, throughout all the history, Mount Juliet Church. We can bring it down to us. 
It makes no sense that He would gather us together. And do we not know that He has gathered us together? Do we not experience that special bond and fellowship one with another? And God uh, endorses that we are His church. And we're so thankful, just like Paul said in uh, Romans chapter 8, His Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God, bears witness with His people that we are gathered together in His name. It makes no sense that God would light this light in Mount Juliet and have it not shine for Him. We get to shine for, for the Lord. That's pretty cool. I don't want to get caught up in that. Let's keep going. All right. We're supposed to be salt. We're supposed to be light. It makes no sense to hide that light. Uh, um, verse 16. Let your light. Here we go. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So I say in these four verses, 13, 14, 15, 16, this is Jesus telling us and telling us here today, Mount Juliet Church, this is our purpose, this is why He's left us here. We're supposed to be salt. We're supposed to be light. And Jesus, again, He brings up this, this, this word, our good deeds, um, good works. Sometimes Baptist people don't talk about works much because we want to emphasize grace. We want to keep biblical balance, though, don't we? It's by grace that we get to do good works. It's by grace that we get to be reflectors of the light of Christ. We're not supposed to hide that. We're supposed to reflect all of Jesus. Notice here, uh, I think we sometimes look at things too narrowly. Jesus did not say in the 16th verse, let your light of preaching only... Let your light of condemning others only. We're reflecting the light of Jesus. The full light of Jesus. We're supposed to. Now how good a mirror we are depends on us. Our cooperation in the sanctification. Right? Um, I've told every couple I think that I have married or performed their, their marriage ceremony uh, that you do not get to choose if your marriage is a picture of the love of Christ and His church. You get to choose how good and how clear a picture that is. The same is true here. If you're a child of God, you are a reflection of Jesus. Now, whether you let your mirror get muddy and, and warped so that people see a distorted picture of Christ, right? that's where we have to work. That's where we have to ask for continued grace. That's where we have to go back for a fresh cleansing, a forgiveness of sins daily. And we need to grow in the Lord. So we're supposed to reflect the light of the world. This is why we are here. Alright, let's continue in the next section. Uh, we've moved on. The first part is our purpose there. First part of what I read. And the next part I want to read, verses 17 through 20. Jesus talks about the law. So this is where we're going to let Jesus, right? He's told us why we're here. Now he's going to tell us about how we should view the law. And I think we can use that to apply to the Old Testament text in Isaiah 58 and bring our application. So, we're here to be salt and light. We're here to reflect the light of Christ. And then verse 17. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am come not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Okay? Now, we're thankful that fulfilling was his life of obedience, his death of obedience bringing about His resurrection to the glory of God. We're thankful because that's the obedience, that's the righteousness that gets applied to us when we trust in Him. But notice that He says that fulfilling of it did not do away with the law. All right? 
Here's where we have to uh, try to understand things the way he teaches it. There are essentially two large groups, and we don't want to be in either one of them. There's certainly more people than that. But there are two common groups. One says uh, that the law is done away with, and it has no effect, and it doesn't matter anymore, and we probably shouldn't even read the Old Testament. There are a lot of Christians who really believe that way, and I think it's to their detriment. Jesus said, it's not done away with. There's the other side who says we're still under the law and we uh, must teach the cursings and must uh, guilt people into doing things and we don't want to fall into that trap either. Sadly, there are a lot of Christians who believe that. We recognize that Jesus, as he said here, fulfilled the law. Let me give you a a quick example. Uh, In the Old Testament, uh, the giving uh, was called specifically tithing and we've heard about that all our life. Under the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, it was essentially a tax. You had to do it. Children of Israel had to do it. And if they did, they were blessed. And if they didn't, they were cursed. Now Paul in the New Testament teaches about giving. Are we supposed to give to our church? Yes, we are. But he doesn't use the word tithing because it's a little different now. It's not that you'll be blessed or cursed. Well, you will be blessed, but it's, it's not in the same way. It's not a tax that's uh, pushed upon us. Rather, Paul comes at it from a different angle. He says, we have been blessed so much that we can give. You see the difference? It's not if we do enough or good enough. We should do it. We need to do it because God has blessed us with the material wealth and the means to do so that we can bless others, so that we continue uh, the, the fellowship and the ministry of the church, that we can give to missionaries, that we can give to these things. But the difference is, uh, from an Old Testament or a law standard, we could say you'll be cursed if you don't. And sadly, I think many Christians still look at it that way. When Paul said we're supposed to give joyfully, we're still giving. Amen. But we recognize that we're giving because we've been so blessed. You see, it's a different way of looking at things. We don't want to fall into the trap on either side. We want to stay uh, the course with Jesus. He said, uh, the law is not done away with, but it's been fulfilled. Continuing on, verse 18. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, uh, one jot or one tittle, not one jot or one tittle, in no wise will pass from the law till all be fulfilled. And it continues on. Whosoever thou shalt break one of these least commandments uh, and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. So here's the rub, and we need to put it together. Jesus says the law of God is not done away with. Not, uh, we should still read, and there's still use for it. But we recognize that Jesus has fulfilled in our place that righteousness. We said last week, we could not attain. We could not attain that standard. Jesus is the perfection. And we're thankful that He did that for us. How then? How then do we look at the Old Testament, the Old Covenant? We recognize it for what it was. When then we recognize it for what it is. It was a schoolmaster. It was pointing toward Christ. Now we have Christ in the gospel. And we look back and we see as we read the Old Testament and the Old Law. That it still reveals to us as we read it the holiness of God. It reveals to us how that we as the New Testament people of God still need to maintain holiness. Maybe not in the same way. We can wear blended fabrics. 
We can, you know, that seems sort of silly that that was uh, outlawed in the time. We can eat uh, what we want to eat. Uh, God told Peter, don't call unclean that that I've t- uh, called clean, right? We don't have to abide by those ceremonial things that were uh, given to specifically to the Old Testament nation of Israel. But we look back and we see, as we read these patterns, as we read these things, it shows us how that we are sinful still. The early missionaries to this country, when they encountered the Native Americans and they were translating the Bible into their native languages, they didn't begin with the Gospels. They began by translating the Ten Commandments. Why? Because it revealed their need of a Savior. So there's still application for us in the Old We recognize and we rejoice that we are not bound by it in the way that we are not bound by our righteousness, but we are given the righteousness of Christ when we trust in Him. But we do not do away with it. We recognize the good in it, the identity of God, His holiness, recognition of our uh, sinfulness. And we recognize that Jesus here said, our purpose, to be salt and light, to reflect the light of Jesus. So very quickly, almost done, Hearing what Jesus had to say, hearing what is our purpose, and what is our relationship to the old covenant, let's turn back to Isaiah and bring application for us today. Isaiah 58. Won't go back to read each verse, but notice how in the beginning of this, the first five or so verses of this chapter, Isaiah was speaking to the nation, to the people, God's people, Israel. And he was talking about the way they were fasting and the way that they were worshiping. And essentially, what he's bringing out is that they were doing it for wrong motivations. They were doing it for their pleasure. And what's worse, uh, they were doing it in a legalistic way to oppress other people. I remember how that Jesus said to the Pharisees one time that they held people to a standard that they themselves did not meet. Same thing they're doing back here in Isaiah 58. They're going about this the wrong way. Uh, Recall once that uh, God said of His people, they draw near me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Right? They're doing these things outwardly, seemingly, and they're even asking, accusing God, we've been fasting, we've been worshiping, why haven't you taken note? Why aren't you doing the things that we want, God? Think about that for a moment. There's direct application from that because God's people today sometimes, when we're not of the right heart, we worship God so that He will bless us in this way. Right? We make mistakes, we get ourselves in binds, and then we say, well, I'll go back to church and I'll start giving again or I'll do whatever because then God will rescue me from this. It's so very narrowly focused. And it's rescue me from this. And it's not about worshiping the Lord God. It's not about recognizing the fact that Jesus is your rightful Savior. It's about this, this moment. Get me through this. And then maybe when I get through this, I'll forget about you, Lord. That's what they were doing. That's what we do from time to time if we're not careful. Let's, not, uh, let's be careful of that. Let's warn ourselves of that. Uh, Isaiah says here, as he's pointing out their wickedness and their desires, uh, he, he says in, in verse 6 and 7, uh, God speaking to the people, instead of doing this for your wrong motivation, what should you do? And here's where I think if we look at these verses... And then we think about the life that Jesus lived, what's recorded for us in the Gospels. We'll find a a comparison, a a direct comparison. Verse 6 and 7. Is this not the fast that I have chosen? Or in other words, God says, is this not uh, what I wanted you to do? To loose the bands of wickedness. To undo the heavy burdens. 
to let the oppressed go free and that you break every yoke? Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry and that thou bring the poor that are cast out into thy house? When thou seest the naked, that thou cover him, that thou hide not thyself thine own flesh. What is he saying? To the people of Israel at the time, he was saying, you're coming and you're doing these fasts and you, and you seemingly are outwardly doing these things, but you're not caring for people. You're not helping the helpless. You're not seeking justice for those around you. You're so narrowly focused on what you want from me. Now let's look at the, bring that to what we're talking about. We're to reflect the light of Jesus. What did Jesus do when he was here? Well, he absolutely preached the gospel and he talked about how that men needed to be saved and we need to continue preaching and teaching the gospel. But it's not all he did. The, the gospel is bigger. It's not less than. It's never less than. But it's even bigger than just the individual salvation of souls. God said that he's making all things new. We get a new heaven and a new earth. All of creation will be redeemed. And I think sometimes we get too narrowly focused and we do that because there's so few focusing upon the gospel in this world. Too few churches focusing on the gospel. That's the reality. We need to continue our focus upon the gospel of telling men that they need to be saved and that Jesus is their only Savior. But that's not all that Jesus did. So I want to challenge you this morning. That's what uh, this is really about. This is something that the, uh, God has been working on me about. And so I want to challenge you this morning. If this is what God wants... Right? He wants our hearts, our obedience. He wants us, uh, what did Jesus say that the great commandment was? To love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. What's the second? To love your neighbor as yourself. It is vitally important that our loved ones, our co-workers, our friends, our family, whoever, whoever God puts in our lives, it's vitally important that they hear about the gospel of Jesus for the salvation of their souls. But let me ask you, how do you think it is so many times that God brings people to wonder about these things from you? What is the influence that we have in our daily lives? So many times, so many times. It's because they see us trying to live lives of holiness. And it's especially because they see us loving people. You don't think about it. But the way that we treat the, the cashier at the grocery store, the way that we treat our neighbors, the way that we treat people we meet on the street, that has a huge influence sometimes on our Christian witness about the saving of souls. Uh, my former pastor used to say, uh, nobody, what is it? Uh, nobody cares what you know until they know that you care. Right? So I'm going to challenge you this morning, okay? If Jesus says we're to be the salt and the light, we're supposed to have an effect around us, we certainly need to continue preaching the gospel about the salvation of souls. But I want to encourage you and I want to challenge you to think upon these things. Jesus said that we're supposed to be the light, we're supposed to reflect His. He said that we're supposed to let others see the good works, the deeds that we do, and that leads people to praising God. So I want to challenge us as a church to make a focus, to live out our faith, Monday through Saturday. Make a, a, const, a continued effort. Uh, pray to the Lord for the help for this. When we're on the job, when you're in your school, whatever it is that you're doing, right? He's not Lord of our Sundays and Wednesdays. He's Lord of our life. Live out our faith 
Monday through Saturday. Let our faith inform everything we do, what we purchase, how we purchase, how we dress, what we attend. And I will not make this a political forum, but it ought to inform our voting and what we get involved with. I'll never tell you which who to vote for or what to vote for. That's not my place as your pastor. But I'll tell you what the gospel says and I'll tell you the standards of holiness and we need to let that infiltrate our minds and our ways of living so that we're working those things out. We're making our decisions every day based upon the Lord's blessing, based upon the Lord's standards, based upon what thus says the Lord. And I want to challenge us as families and as a church to think about How are we helping the helpless? What are we doing for others? And some of you may do very well personally, and and I'm not complaining about anything. I don't have anything particular in mind, but I want to challenge you. If we are to reflect the light of Christ, we should be telling people they need to be saved. We should be telling people they need a Savior. We also just need to be loving people and helping people where and when we can. The people that God puts in our lives, I believe, are there for purposes many times we'll never understand. But sometimes it's so that we could do some small thing. So I challenge you. I want you to think about that this week and going forward. As families and we as a church family, how can we better reflect the full light of Christ? These are the things that God says He wants. Helping the helpless. Seeking justice. Love God supremely. Love your neighbor as yourself. I think it's all in harmony with the scriptures. Let's bow our heads and pray about that this morning. Father God, we thank you this morning for the gospel, the truth that Jesus came and fulfilled that that we could not, paid the price that we could not pay, and we're thankful for the wonderful news that when we trust in you, now we can do because you have done. You have saved us for a purpose. You have left us here. You have gathered us here as a church for a purpose. And Lord, it is ours to seek your will. Lord, we pray that you would lead us as men and as women, fathers, husbands, wives, as families, and certainly as a church family, that we would be fulfilling all that you would have us to do, everything that you've left us here, and let us never lose sight of the centrality of the gospel for our purpose. Lord, in Jesus' name, we ask these blessings and help in these ways. And amen. Let us have a song and let us stand and sing.